Welcome everybody to this Edge of Mind podcast, where I'm joined today by the esteemed physicist and also the inventor of the microprocessor and touchpad Federico Fagin. We engage in a wide-ranging exploration of the relationship between science and spirituality. Federico starts with a colorful rendering of the four phases of his life and his transition from a hardcore physicist materialist into a deep student of consciousness. He shares how a single experience, lasting less than one minute, changed his life forever. Federico then relates really a number of eye-opening experiences, all of which proclaim that consciousness, not matter, is the foundation of reality, and that that foundation is actually expressed as love. What triggered this opening, and what did he do to nurture these experiences? How did the non-dual traditions and other forms of transpersonal work help him understand what happened? Dr. Fragin then turns to his quantum information-based view of panpsychism, whether this theory can be tested or not, and its remarkable implications for both science and spirituality. What does quantum really mean in this context? As he says, science and spirituality are both right and both wrong. What does that mean? Is mathematics the supreme language for communication these days or just the best way to talk to the high priests of science? What exactly is the relationship between artificial intelligence and artificial sentience or consciousness? Can a computer ever really be conscious? His theory completely overthrows materialism and offers an entirely new direction for science. Can this theory, based on his experiences, lead others to those experiences? In other words, is it psychoactive and prescriptive? What does it mean when he says that matter is merely a symbol? And what role does light have to play in all of this? Federico then talks about consciousness units, the place of free will, what happens after death, and why spiritual practitioners might be interested in his work. He then discusses his path of practice, his writing, and why he doesn't adhere to any single tradition or teacher. What does he see as blind spots in the wisdom traditions? Behind his amazing life is the deep quest to know, to understand the nature of reality and consciousness, and to help the world. Welcome, everybody, to the Sedge of Mind podcast, where my guest today is someone I've been wanting to talk to for quite a long time, Federico Fadin. Amazing, remarkable individual, as you will see. And as usual, I will uh, read a slightly abbreviated version of his rich life. And then we're just going to jump right in, I think, into the most rich material possible. So Federico Fagin was born in Vicenza, Italy, and graduated in physics, summa cum laude, from the University of Padua in 1965. Fajin came to the U.S. in 1968, working for Fairchild Semiconductor, where he led the development of the MOS silicon gate technology, a key process technology that was adapted worldwide or adopted worldwide to manufacture most contemporary integrated circuits. Working for Intel Corporation from 1970 to 1974, Fajin designed many products, including the world's first microprocessor. In 1974, he began an entrepreneurial career and co-founded several startup companies, notably Zilog, where he developed the Z80 microprocessor, and then Synaptics, the developer of the early touchpads and touchscreens now used nearly universally in all mobile devices. Fajin is now president of the Federico and Elvia Fajin Foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the scientific study of consciousness. He's won numerous awards 
I think one of the most compelling ones is the National Medal of Technology and Innovation given by President Barack Obama. So Federico, I know um, how busy you are. Thank you so much for taking time and uh, chatting with us about your your truly remarkable life, that there's no uh, overestimation when we make these proclamations. Well, thank you, Andrew, and uh, thank you for all of you present. Um, As uh, Andrew said, I was born in 1941 uh, in Vicenza, which is uh, a town, small town uh, near Venice. And uh, I spent my early years uh, in uh, a small town, actually a village, a little more than a village, uh, on the outskirts of Vicenza because of the war. In 1943, the Allied forces were, were, you know, from Sicily were moving north, up north, and uh, my parents, rightly so, <laughs> decided to move in the countryside where they came from. Uh, uh, they were safer. In fact, our apartment in Vicenza was uh, destroyed by the by the bombs. And uh, uh, and I basically lived there like people used to live, uh, uh, you know, in the agricultural era, in the country, in the in the countries, in the uh, farms, many farms didn't have electricity. They, you know, uh, uh, they were still plowing the fields with uh, uh, oxen-driven <laughs> uh, plows, and 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 you know, the, the, there was no running water or no bathroom in the house, and you know, basically just like two, three hundred years ago, people lived. Uh, and so I had an incredible experience there, though, you know, we had electricity in our home because we were in the, in the actual small town. But, but uh, uh, my uncle, for example, was in the, had a farm and, uh, you know, and I used to go there often uh, and seeing how life was completely different than what it was even in Vicenza, where I was born. But I was too small to know that. Uh, so uh, when I was about eight, I went back to Italy to sorry to Vicenza. And I found the industrial revolution there in full swing, and uh, I went to a technical high school because I was interested in machines. I didn't think I I, I could understand machines. People were much harder, and so I, I my desire to comprehend and understand was already quite operational, <laughs> even when I was uh, four or five years old. And uh, my father was actually a, a, a scholar. He translated the uh, Enneads of, Plot- of Plotinus, for example, wrote uh, a history of uh, philosophy for the, uh, for, you know, in three volumes for, uh, for, for, for various schools, especially for the classical Lycee, where he was teaching, and also for early universe for the early courses in university. And so, um, but I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in model planes. <laughs> and so, by the time I was eleven, I actually designed and built my own model plane, which flew not the first, the third, and um, um, and and. Uh, you know, because of that, I wanted to uh, study, I wanted to become an aeronautical engineer, and I went to a technical high school that would prepare for that. But uh, I had to, uh, but they stopped teaching that, and so I had to, I studied radio technology. And then when I was uh, 18, I graduated and uh, went to work for Olivetti, 
uh, Olivetti in those days uh, was uh, a, a quite advanced. They had just introduced, uh, I'm talking about 1960. So in 59, they just introduced uh, their first uh, electronic computer, uh, all using transistors, which was one of the early, in fact, some claim it was the first uh, electronic computer to use transistors in the world uh, commercial. And, uh, um, and so I, uh, I joined Olivetti and I was uh, lucky enough that at one point uh, after a few months of training and so on, uh, I was assigned a project and I ended up uh, leading that project uh, where I designed uh, for about 60% and built for 90% a, a, a small experimental computer using transistors uh, that uh, worked at the end of the year, end of 1961. I joined in the uh, fall of 1960, Olivetti. And that experience really was uh, shaped me because uh, being able to do though, to do that, and, and I must say that that was because, you know, since I was 16, I was reading anything I could about computers and I was... Uh, I become intrigued by computers and uh, I write about transistors and I was intrigued by transistors. Even if at school, I I, uh, I was taught vacuum tubes because those were the, you know, those were the way to do electronics in those days in the, in the late 50s. So, um, so that experience uh, uh, was foundational. I would not have been able to develop the first microprocessor designed the first microprocessor if I had not had that experience, because in that experience, I had to, you know, to design the logic, actually the architecture, the logic, the circuit design, and build it using tra single transistors, the resistors, capacitors, you know, the usual components of electronics in those days. So uh, at the, at the, uh, in the, toward the end of 61, I decided that I wanted to, to study more. I wanted to understand quantum physics because transistors worked because they use a new physics that I never studied at school, quantum physics. And so I, I went to University of Padua and uh, I graduated in physics at, at there. And uh, uh, and then I, I worked on the a semiconductor company in in, in Italy called uh, SGS Fertil that was partly owned, 30% owned by Fertil Semiconductor. And, and and that's the reason why I found myself in 68, I found myself in California, in uh, in Silicon Valley, working for Fertile. Because of my experience at, uh, at, at, at SGS Fertile, and I must say also my creativity, I figured out a way to do a completely different process to make integrated circuits called silicon technology, which made possible the missing ingredients to make a computer on a chip. Um, those ingredients were microprocessors, the dynamic random memories, random access memories, the non-volatile memories, and also the CCD, which were uh, in those days were just had just been invented uh, and uh, required a double gate structure. And uh, so my uh, my technological silicon gate technology uh, allow me also to design the first commercial circuit using the technology, the Fairchild 3708. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, later, when I joined Intel, 
Intel was formed to actually take advantage of that technology. Uh, you know, said bluntly, they copied the technology that I developed at Fairchild. In those days, that was common. And uh, uh, and so later on, I joined uh, Fairchild. Two years later, I joined Fairchild. Uh, uh, in uh, virtual uh, Intel, uh, where there was a project that no no one could, you know, was able to design. It was a project. It was a an architecture of a of a uh, uh, of, of a computer that, that, according to them, should be able to fit on a chip, but nobody could do it. And in fact, without a couple of inventions that I had made a virtual, which they did not know, it would not have been possible. And that was the he ended up being the uh, uh, Intel 4004, the world's first microprocessor. Uh, that that chip actually showed how to do random logic to the industry, which at that time had a technology which there was uh, much much poorer. Uh, for example, you know, five times slower. Uh, it could only fit the, the same area of silicon after the number of transistors. So it was, you know, that was such a major step that allow a, a, allowed to really create the, all the pieces missing so that you could put an entire computer on a chip, which happened uh, about uh, seven years later. Uh, those are the, the chips that you now call microcontrollers, which are a small computer in a single chip. Uh, which now you can buy for uh, you know for less than a dollar, <laughs> and uh, and they have the power which uh, in those days require a computer the size of a very large room. So that technology was uh, you know fueled the uh, information revolution that uh, has swept uh, our, our society since uh, since the, the late fifties. Uh, but really, you know, accelerated the process to an, to an extent that today, uh, in our pocket, we have uh, as much computing power as all the computers built by 1960. <laughs> so uh, it's amazing. Um, Intel was a company that started with the idea of developing memories semiconductor memories, because the technology of memories at that time, I'm talking about 1968, was uh, uh, used magnetic, uh, uh, tiny, tiny magnetic uh, uh, toroids uh, with wires going through those magnetic toroids. So it was a very, you know, very bulky, very expensive, uh, use a lot of power. In the semiconductor and, and the first memories were use uh, use silicon gate technology uh, was this, the right solution, but they did not recognize uh, the power of microprocessor early on, and so I decided that that I wanted to start my own company to really accelerate the process of uh, adoption of microprocessor in the industry. I started a company called Zilog. Uh, with one of my uh, managers at that time, I was department manager of, of Intel in doing all pretty much uh, all of the uh, chips except for dynamic memories. Um, so uh, that company, in that company I developed, I was CEO of that company clearly, and I developed the uh, uh, the first um, product was a the Z80 microprocessor, a third generation 8-bit microprocessor, 
that became a bestseller is still in volume production today. Yeah, what is it? Uh, almost 50 years later. And uh, um, that product uh, ended up having tens of thousands of different applications. And, uh, and uh, but the important thing for me at, at uh, Zylo was not so much uh, what I did in terms of products and technologies, but it was uh, the growth that I had by being, you know, pushed from being a, you know, an engineer that, yes, uh, did, you know, was uh, leading a number of different projects or a number of other engineers and, and, and scientists, but but essentially doing a technical technical uh, type of work uh, to having to worry about uh, marketing and sales and, and, and uh, you know, finance and, uh, uh, and all that is required, production and all that is required to start a company and to, and to lead it. Uh, so I grew up, that's where my, my, my hair started becoming gray, uh, even if I started the company when I was 32, because uh, I grew up immensely. You know, just think that uh, when when the team was put together, we had 11 people to start the, the, the development of the microprocessor and the and the support uh, uh, development system for the software. And uh, uh, and so by you know uh, when the uh, the Z80 was announced, uh, we had 11 people, uh, and uh, three years later we had 1,100 people. So you can imagine, you know, the type of the rate of growth that I had to go through personally in order to to you know handle all of that. Anyway, I became a, a serial entrepreneur. Uh, and my third company was called Synaptics. Uh, started in '86. That company, uh, well, Zylo started at the end of '74. Uh, Synaptics. Uh, uh, the idea was to develop computers that learn, uh, and so that you don't have to program them uh, using neural networks. Uh, an idea which had been around since the late '50s, but the you know, the the, uh, the sort of the experts in artificial intelligence thought that it was a bad idea. They thought that, that you could do much with it. But I recognize that that, that being a, a being something similar to what uh, we have in our head was was the right, the correct methodology and the correct structure in order to learn. And uh, The idea, though, was that using analog technology, I could have a much faster processing speed and with much less electronics, because to do the simulation of neural networks, we needed computers much faster and, and with much more memory than what we had available. So enough of that technology to know that that would be the future. But it took another 20 years before neural networks ended up uh, showing their power. And that's the heart of the AI and robotics uh, progress that you see today it was is due to the fact that now we have computers so much more powerful than we had in the mid eighties uh, that uh, we can do those things uh, quite effectively. So, I had to, after five years of work in this direction, I had to decide, hey, you know, 
uh, it would take much, much more time to, to really develop this technology, to make it commercially available and so on. So I decided, well, we had to figure out something, <laughs> something otherwise we have to close the door. Uh, and uh, I came up with the idea of replacing the, the uh, trackball that, uh, that was used in those days to move the cursor on a laptop computer. Uh, with a solid state uh, structure that could do a much better job. And so I put together uh, four or five of our best engineers, the more creative engineers. I launched the, I launched the, the, uh, the idea uh, uh, and got in the process. And in a couple of months, we invented the touchpads and the touchscreen that ended up changing the way that we uh, interface with our devices. Uh, and so that was the, you know, the beginning of the success of synaptics. Uh, uh, but I must take a, a step back over, you know, over a few years because while I was doing neural networks, I was studying uh, neuroscience, I was studying biology because I wanted to understand more deeply how neural networks actually work, how living systems work. And uh, and it was at that time that reading these books of neuroscience. I was, uh, you know, they were telling me that, uh, you know, the signals that there are in, in the electrical, biochemical signals that we have in the brain, and they were explaining, for example, how we can, you know, uh, re you know, uh, recognize, uh, you know, the, you know, an object by by des describing signals that uh, that would uh, course through the these neural networks, but. I asked myself, but wait a second, I, I don't see signals. If I taste a piece of chocolate, you know, I have a taste of chocolate in my mouth. That, that's how I know that, you know, that what I have in my mouth is chocolate. So, uh, you know, how do you, how, how can electrical signals produce a, the taste of chocolate in my mouth? And that was, I, I discovered what later the philosophers in 95, Char, uh, Chalmers called the hard problem of consciousness, which is how can, how can we have actually an experience? How, how can we feel? So that, you know, that revelation to me was, uh, was very important because uh, at that time, I was also not very happy about my life, even though I had accomplished everything uh, that uh, one accomplishing it should feel, uh, you know, should feel happy. I had a wonderful family. Everybody was happy, you know, was was healthy. Uh, I had more money than I could spend in my life uh, because Zyla was, you know, sufficiently successful that uh, I didn't have to work anymore. Uh, I was famous, uh, sufficiently famous that I didn't need any more fame. Uh, so, but I was unhappy and I didn't know why. Uh, and it was through this recognition and having the courage to face that recognition for, because for a while I was just pretending not to, not to be, not to be unhappy and pretending to be happy. Um, uh, so, you know, it was in that milieu that uh, I had an extraordinary experience of consciousness because I wanted to understand how, you know, 
how computers can, you know, how computers could be possibly conscious, given that at that time I was a, I was a, you know, a materialist. I, I studying physics. Uh, I real, I, I thought that everything was physical, and so, so anything that that exists has to be physical. I did, I never had, you know, thought that there was there could be something either extra physical or some deeper reality. Uh, the, the, out of which the physical reality would emerge. And that was not in my purview. I can say that now, but not then. And so I thought that if, uh, you know, like scientists were saying at that time and now, the consciousness is an epiphenomenon of the functioning of the brain. In other words, it emerges from the functioning of the brain, uh, but it has no causal power. Uh, then I should be able to make a conscious computer because a computer is also a information processing system like the brain is. And then I should be able to have a conscious computer. Uh, and so I was in my spare time thinking about how could I do that? And the more I thought about it, the more impossible that appear. You know, I, how can I transform electrical signal in sensations? And, you know, sensations are... A different quality, something that uh, you know is impossible to uh, to connect with uh, the rest of what we know, uh, with the physics, and uh, it, so that was the milieu that allowed me to have this extraordinary experience of consciousness when I was uh, just in a you know in a very um, uh, relaxed uh, place. I was uh, it was uh, Christmas holidays, and we had a home. Uh, in the in Lake Tahoe, and we were up skiing with. The, I was up there skiing with the family, and uh, one night I woke up at, at, at the middle of the night, and it was was midnight, and I was thirsty. I went to get a glass of water, went back to bed, and as I was there, just quietly think, you know, trying to go back to sleep, uh, you know, a beam of of energy came out of my my chest you know it was like a like a rush unbelievable with unbelievable strength it was white scintillating light and it felt like love and it was actually love so powerful that i, I never had experienced anything like that before and then it exploded and now everything is full of this white scintillating light uh that feels like love and then as i was looking at it, all of a sudden, I realized that I was looking at myself. This white scintillating light is me. My God. So I I am that light, and I see that light with my point of view, because my point of view was the same point of view that I always had. That I always had. And as I was looking at myself, I also recognized that this is that stuff. That feels like love. That also feels joy. That feels like joy. It feels like peace. I was at peace. And I never had that peace. You know, I remember that I was very unhappy with myself. I felt at home. I this is this is me. Uh, that was what gave me the idea. So the thought also followed this whole thing 
part of this whole experience. By the way, my body was vibrating as this experience was going on. So now I could say that probably a big number of my cells were in resonance with what was going on. Uh, I I say I I said I I thought, wow, this is what everything is made of. This is this stuff has what is made of. And that was the end of the experience. And that transformed me completely to the point that because that experience had you know had a, a power of feeling true, feeling that I actually knew. You know, before I thought that the best way that you can do when you know is to prove a theorem. But no, this was immensely more, it was a direct type of knowing. I can use those words now after 30 years of work. But in those days, I couldn't have used those words. But it was a form of direct knowing where I was, where I was the experience. And so uh, this type of experience changed my perspective completely. And, you know, I began a, a journey of trying to understand myself uh, while I was still running uh, synaptics in those days. Uh, but I put 30, 40% of my time from that point on uh, to, to understand this animal called consciousness. You know, the first time that I, now, now I got what consciousness is, it was much, much more than what I thought before when I was trying to make a conscious computer. This is, this, this is, you know, light years uh, beyond what I thought consciousness was before. And I stop here, otherwise I keep on talking. Oh, Federico, <laughs> I could listen to you forever. It, it, it just <laughs> remarkable. First of all, thank you so much for your for your generosity and your candor in sharing this type of experience because it's so heretical, it's so antithetical to um, even oppositional to the materialistic view that it, 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 this kind of transformation flip is monumental from from a hardcore materialist, admittedly hardcore materialist, into what we'll venture in shortly into um, an idealist. Um, but gosh, there's so much to say here. So when you had this experience, um, Federico, you write in your beautiful book Silicon how how you then explored some traditions that helped seemingly helped you understand, stabilize to a certain extent what actually happened. Because what, what I wanted a journey with you here um, in the next few minutes is you, you are uniquely situated to dance between two usually completely disparate worlds, the world of science and there we use the catch-all term, the world of spirit. Um, and there aren't too many people that have the capacities in both these domains to really speak with tremendous authority cross-pollinate, and therefore be transformational in them. So before we we transition into the more technical, deeper, uh, really elegant um, theories that you have around quantum information-based panpsychism, before we go there, can you say a little bit more, because this particular audience, yes, there's some scientists that listen to this and academics, but mostly, as you might suspect, the humanities. And so this very human, wonderful um, experience that you share, you also... Um, share a couple things in your in your book that maybe if I might invite you to share here further experiences like the, the the experience of the woman you're sitting in the car you have the experience of the woman next to you and it's almost as if your consciousness jumped into her I mean these sort of things that of course would just be like this this person must be insane 
Well, I mean, it's, insanity is a matter of, of contrast and degree. And so um, if you feel comfortable, share a little bit more about what happened when your heart-mind blew open to this extent. And the other thing I, I want to say that I find remarkably compelling here is that you share in your book that this, this um, tectonic shift took place within a, a time frame of like one minute. And to me, this is amazing. I mean, here you are, um, a lifelong materialist, and you have a, an experience that's so true, so foundational. I mean, I would argue perhaps somebody akin to a near-death experience. You know, you don't have to have an NDE over and over to change you. You just need one because it's so true. It's so foundational. So in a real, uh, this is like a near-death experience, a, a, a authentic contact with reality that within the course of one minute, shape-shifted your entire life. So a couple of things, just to paraphrase, maybe with your generosity, share a little bit more about some of these really mind-opening um, experiences that you did have. And then uh, the role of, of some of the traditions that you explored that helped you perhaps understand what happened, perhaps even help you to, to stabilize the experience? Or are we okay going there before we jump into the deep end of the pool? <laughs> All right. Oh, that's with pleasure. Uh, let me. So, so, uh, so the first thing that I did was uh, uh, to find a, a transpersonal psychologist that could help me, uh, because I realized that this was not a pathology, but it was something was something that uh, uh, that went beyond, and I certainly didn't want to uh, didn't want to consult any anybody that would. You know they would uh, not understand, uh, uh, and they would consider my experience a pathology, which would be the normal way that uh, psychiatrists, for sure, would interpret what I had. Uh, so, so that was the beginning. She she introduced me to a number of uh, uh, a number of authors, uh, a number of, uh, of books, and and ideas and so on. Uh, and so that was the beginning of this journey and then little by little uh, reveal through all kinds of extraordinary experiences because much of what much of my theory was dictated by having had many different experiences of consciousness because at that time I wanted to explore, to, to explore this animal called consciousness. What is it? I mean, what? What are the boundaries? Are there boundaries? You know, what, what, what is going on here? And so I was open to finding out, uh, but the only way to know is not to read books, but to experience. I mean, that's how we know <laughs> consciousness is the fact that we can know by experiencing. So I always realized that that, that experience was foundational. And I, I you know, uh, because repeating what I read in a book uh, it's not good enough. Sorry about it, but <laughs> it's not good enough for pretending that I, I'm also having some something that, that somebody is writing about is not the same thing as having it. So, so for me that you know uh, the the uh, rooting my uh, learning and, and understanding on experiences was. From the very beginning, since it was exactly an experience that changed me, was really you know what I wanted, and uh, um, so uh, I had you know so I had you know hundreds of different experiences uh, you know 
for example, you mentioned one that I wrote in uh, in, in the book Silicon, uh, and and uh, uh, which ha happened reasonably early. You know, probably that probably happened a couple of years after you know after I uh, I had this uh, awakening, what I call awakening experience. Uh, I I hate to use the word mystical because uh, it's considered a bad word, especially among scientists, and uh, um, and so. Um, so uh, in this case, I was, you know, I was just, I had just taken my my son to school, uh, and I was going back to the office. And at one point, I was uh, stopped at a, at a traffic light, and uh, um, and I just, you know, naturally turned to my left, you know, uh, where there was a car stop, and inside this car, there was a there was a woman driving, and in a split second, I felt consciousness there where the woman was in the other car and I was stunned but it was just a you know just a, it, that was a few seconds and so as I was driving back to the office then after the <laughs> after the, the the light turned green uh, the you know I was thinking my god I mean how, how is that possible I mean I never had, I had not read at that point about out-of-body experience, you know, I, I was still exploring. And so, you know, I, but, you know, I was there, you know, only for an instant, I, you know, so I didn't know, I didn't know, I mean, just, I knew that I was there. <laughs> and, and, and so in those days, I was already journaling. So when I went to the office, I, I, uh, I started uh, you know, writing, you know, a, a journal that was help that would help me, you know, catch a little bit of the nuances of what I felt, uh, you know, even if it was a very short, short experience. Uh, uh, and, you know, and as I was writing, at one point, I, I lifted my eyes, and I look outside in the, you know, the, you know, in those days, the, uh, uh, we were in a in a sort of a campus kind of uh, uh, area with uh, you know with different uh, uh, different office buildings around a, a sort of a, a you know uh, manicure <laughs> you know manicure uh, 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 grass and trees and so on. So so I look up and all of a sudden. I am out there. My consciousness was in the trees, in the grass, in the building in front of me. It was everywhere. <laughs> wow. And then all, and then I look inside the office, and now I see in front of me, I see a person. And th this person is looking at me, and as I look at this person, I see that it's, it's me looking at myself. So that person is me myself. I mean, what's going on here? And then it was the end of the experience. So, you know, this is just to give you an idea of the stuff that now that, that, that I had to contend with in the sense of explaining, because I am a physicist. I want to explain. <laughs> I want to explain things. But, you know, then later on, for example, I had experiences where my consciousness was a point of light at the base of my sternum. Just one point of light. Everything that I am was that point of light. Then I had an experience where, where I was 
only the experience. There was nobody watching. I was the experience, period. So that was a non-dual experience. There was no watcher. There was only experience. Then I have an experience where it was a, it was the the <laughs> it was the remembrance of what it must have been like when I was probably a few weeks old. And so there was a field where everything that exists, there were sounds, lights, and feelings all in this field, and no one was watching. And this actually was foundational later on for me to understand the way, the different way in which, you know, uh, consciousness experiences versus the body and all those things. You know, those are... Those are the crucial things, which then, of course, really what other people are saying, you know, are, are correlated. And then, you know, little by little, I create a picture where things have to be, you know, have to be coherent. They have to be coherent with my experience, most of all, but also with something that sounds true, logical, rational, that people, other people are saying. Uh, so it it took 20 years of uh, of uh, of, uh, you know, different experiences, different school of thoughts, different type of meditation, uh, you know, uh, it, it would take, you know, would take days to to report many of those things that they were, they were important. But after 20 years of this, I realized that consciousness must be fundamental, must be the source of everything. So no longer it can be explained as a phenomenon, but it is what creates all phenomena. So all of a sudden, you know, it's a completely turn where instead of matter, consciousness deriving from matter or some more sophisticated matter or, some, you know, no, matter and everything else that exists comes from it. So, wow. At that point, I decided, well, you know, now it's time for me to stop what I'm doing. Uh, at that time, I was still working. At that time, I already, you know, stepped up. I was chairman. Uh, I'm this time, 20 years later, we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, 20, uh, 2008, 2000, something like that. Uh, you know, I was chairman of uh, of Synaptics in 2007. Chairman of Synaptics, and and uh, um, um, you know, so I had more time. So I was already dedicating probably 60 percent of my time to uh, to study of consciousness. And uh, um, but I decided that's it. Now I get out of everything that I'm doing, all my commitments. Uh, uh, I was running it, it my running another company at that time sell the company and uh, get out of this, uh, you know, and concentrate 100% uh, studying what does it mean if consciousness is fundamental? What does it mean? I realize that everything changes. If you start that way, the, the narrative of physics changes from this to that completely, 180 degrees. You know, what is cause is effect or vice versa. So, <laughs> uh so then, then again, that was a, you know, was a, was a, you know, uh, what I had, you know, I had read that many people thought that uh, consciousness, you know, had to be fundamental and so on. But 
until I was convinced myself that it had to be that way. I wasn't ready to jump, you know, jump <laughs> to, to the next uh, the next phase of my life. Uh, I call it my fourth life. Uh, I, I, you know, I was I was uh, living my third life as a life of an entrepreneur together with my, you know, simultaneously. I, I had a double life <laughs> with the with the life of a of this, you know, person that that uh, uh, explores the the spiritual the spiritual part of in the spiritual aspect of life and so so i decided to uh, uh to leave everything that i was doing and uh, a couple of years later i started a foundation the federico and Alpha gene foundation uh to this for, to study consciousness because at, at that point i had already realized that uh, uh that uh, people that think like me if they're not, if if they are not, if they're not thrown thrown out the door, right. they you know they don't they certainly cannot get any money to actually study what they think uh, is a valid uh, hypothesis. So um, so uh, so so with that, I I began to really think you know deeply uh, think and try to put together all these experiences that I had, all what I knew into a coherent narrative, into a coherent story, because I realized that without a theory, no one would ever, would ever believe, you know, you know, I mean, I'm talking about scientists now, because science, the science today is the new religion, right? So, so, you know, and, and, but it's more than religion, because, uh, you know, because uh, science uh, has to, is subject to the proof of an experiment. Which is not the case with, relig- with most religions. So, so it was important uh, to me to reach the scientists, which are the ones that uh, can actually begin to understand and deepen, deepen this, uh, uh, this uh, understanding and deepen the applications of uh, what what this means. Uh, and, and you know, and scientists need to start with some kind of cogent theory otherwise you don't get anywhere you know you, you can sh- you can tell them that there are uh, you know out of body experiences and they say come on you know it's impossible and they, they keep on doing what they were doing before so so th- this is not you know this is not this you know uh, without something that you can grab them and say look at this yeah. look at this it has to be this way and but you have to have something very strong to be able to do that and so um so my uh, the, my direction and desire uh, with the foundation shifted to the creation of a theory uh, that can then uh, be the starting point for a serious investigation on the nature of reality no longer on the nature of consciousness, but on the nature of reality, because if consciousness is fundamental, we are talking about the nature of reality, not the nature of consciousness, because everything else de- derives from, from it. And I stop here, otherwise, again. Yeah, again, for, I, again, I can't just let you run, but yeah. there, there's so many things. That, and as we start to slowly make the transition towards the deeper end, I, I want to just recapitulate a couple of things here for that ego. So, what when you retrospect over this, it, it's a, it's a bit unusual um, for someone um, who isn't a hard uh, a hardcore is the right word, but who isn't on a spiritual path and really working with their mind 
to have these kind of spontaneous openings, which parenthetically on, on one level, unbelievably, I mean, truly extraordinary. I, I, I just delight. On another level, maybe very ordinary. A consequence of when the heart and mind are so open, these become ordinary experiences. But the question I have for you is, what, what do you think was the initiator or the catalyst to trigger for this opening that you had in Tahoe? I mean, why why did it seem to come about so spontaneously? Do you have a, a sense of what it was that you were doing um, on your side to invite this degree of opening? Yeah, I, I want to understand why I was so unhappy. Hmm. I wanted to understand, and 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 frankly, it was just to know. It, it wasn't even because I wanted to be happy, you know. It, you know, it, it, in other words, there was no agenda. I just wanted to know. Yeah. I just wanted to understand. It, I wanted to also understand what is consciousness because I was trying to, you know, see if I could create a conscious computer, but I couldn't. And so there was a mystery there. I wanted to know. So it was that desire to know without an agenda about what I would do with what I know. That's beautiful. And and in a certain way, it was iterative or reiterative of of some of the conclusions or provisional conclusions that you've come to, that the, 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 the impulse for evolution altogether that you talk about is in fact just this on a cosmological scale for for the universe to become aware of itself, this urge to know. So in a certain sense, that was a personal iteration of that. Absolutely, absolutely. I I realized that, uh, and also reading, you know, also through the reading that I did from that point on, um, you know, I realized that that was was the common thread in all of the, you know, in all of the, uh, the stuff that I consider important that I read, it was the need of the person to know, the yeah. need to know, the desire to know. Who am I? You know, why? Why? It was the why. You know, the why. More than the how, it was the why. And, and to me, you know, the, the because the, the how immediately, just when you ask and how, immediately there is a, perp, you know, there is some sort of, you know, you want to get something there. You know, with the, with the how you want to get something, but the the why is is like the child. You know, ah, why, daddy, why is that? Why, you know, that you know that kind of stuff. You know, is is we are born with a with a big why. <laughs> yeah, that's really beautiful. It's like it's like the inner child that if we nurture it properly is always there to guide us. And and what I really love is the 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 open-ended um platform that led you to this and also the the open um quality of your journey altogether since then because it's so easy for for people to become territorial provincial um circle the wagons around the particular disciplines and and you have this you really unique mercurial in the best sense capacity to dance with fluidity between these two worlds and so the, now we can start to probe a little bit more deeply about this this extraordinary contribution that you are actually making. Um, And I I will throw in just a a couple little statements to our listeners here that I meant to say at the outset that I didn't. Um, When I had the opportunity to become familiar with Federico's work, we invited him into a a consciousness non-duality science study group that I do with scientists and academics. And over the course of a couple hours, we, we started going into what we're about to transition into here. And I just wanted to say as a platform for our listeners, that some of the comments that came up 
through the participants um, um, and also through you, Federica, yourself, is that this view kills materialism, which is what we're not going to further unpack. Everything changes if this theory is proven. It's a new direction for science. It overthrows 300 years of science. And and uh, I think we, I can't remember who said this is is, is fundamentally um, cataclysmic as the Michelson Morley experiment experiment, and so I, I set this out as as a platform as we now start to go into the deeper end of things. That what I'm starting to see as I try to wrap my mind around this, the nuance, the elegance, the subtlety, the complexity of your work now, is that instead of running off into lifetime retreat. And and becoming a yogi, a sannyasa, and and just devoting your life to the spiritual vector. What I see as you work now is this is this really beautiful and courageous marriage, this union, which initially may be a shotgun marriage, right? Of of where science and spirituality, exteriority and interiority can actually meet. And so um, this is an amazing um, thing when you talk about actually developing a scientific theory of consciousness versus just a metaphysical uh, postulation, something that can be tested. And this, this is the great contribution here. Um, people may be wondering, oh, this is great. Well, why is this so important? Well, until we convert, or at least start to converse with the high priests of the Western culture, which are the, are the scientists, um, this particular paradigm will not embrace the, the validity, the veracity of, of what the wisdom traditions or what you yourself has explained, have, have explained as a, as a spiritual practitioner. So start to, to talk to us a little bit more. Again, there's so much to talk about here, but start to talk about a, a little bit um, for, you know, for um, uh, uh, quantum information based panpsychism 101, right? <laughs> what, what this, what, why, why would two things, why would, um, well, no, actually, let me put a hold on that. The foundations of this particular view and, and, and what you think with your work with Dariano, why you think this could be tested, what the implications of this, what it actually means to test this, you know, that, that sort of thing. So we can start to get into the weeds a little bit, because this is this is really where your extraordinary contribution lies. Uh, yes. Okay. So a little bit more of um, more background. So so. Uh... You know, back to say ten years ago, um, it was clear to me that uh, if you start with consciousness as a foundation, then uh, everything changes. Uh, but then there is unity. In other words, you can no longer talk about spirituality and materiality as two separate things. And so, you know, the spiritual reality uh, that many have explored over the ages and the material reality that uh, now science is, you know, is almost exclusively uh, doing uh, are really two aspects that must join. And in the joining of these two aspects, Everyone benefits. Both aspects will, will, will be enriched by this joining. And so, you know, it's no longer, you know, you mentioned uh, a, a shotgun wedding, but this is not a shotgun wedding. This, this, is, a, this is love that joins. Okay. So, so it, it was very clear to me that, that, that only, and also because I lived that with, you know, in that way, you know, I lived it in that way. 
you know, it, it was is a is a marvelous opening. You know, all of a sudden we be you know we thought we were living in a small shack, and you know, in fact, we live in a castle. <laughs> you know, you know, it, you know, it's it's one of those things where where all of a sudden the world is much much bigger, and much vaster. Uh, and, and the the the, uh, the the capacity that we have to experience are so so incredible, and, and so you know, to me, uh, by opening the eyes uh, a little bit enough, so that people can believe that they can put some energy into trying to figure out, you know, who they are, uh, you know, we 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 can we can go beyond, much beyond. And this is especially important when today, uh, you know, we are compared with uh, uh, robots, with artificial intelligence. You know, I mean, we live in a time when artificial intelligence seems to be able to do what we do, which of course is crazy. Is it because we are not we we are not doing enough? Because we can do a hell of a lot more than what we do, and it is in fact if we can if we can you know give to artificial intelligence the tasks that uh, you know we labor every day, we can actually discover this new world. So it's an opportunity instead of being a danger <laughs> or a challenge. <laughs> so uh, so uh, so anyway, so so th- this is this sort of you know this sort of mindset. That 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 I had, and so now, of course, uh, uh, you know, the the other thing that was clear to me even in those days is that only quantum physics can really can have a hope ever of explaining the nature of consciousness and the nature of free will, uh, which of course goes with consciousness. In those days, I was not making a clear distinction, but frankly. Uh, you know, uh, consciousness without free will makes no sense. I mean, it would be like watching it, you know, watching a, a, a slow motion, you know, train wreck without being able to get out of there, you know, because the world is, uh, the world is deterministic. And so you, you, you are watching a movie that you cannot do nothing, anything about it. So, so, you know, free will is fundamental exactly because uh, consciousness that experiences that can know if it has free will, then all of a sudden it can direct its own experience. It can direct its own knowing. It's no longer you know what comes your way, but you are actually the director, the actor in a world, and also the observer of the world. And to me, that that was also very very important. So. So uh, when I started then, uh, you know, the type of research that we're doing was all, you know, was all trying to understand more deeply uh, quantum physics at the level of the foundation of quantum physics. Uh, You know, many, you know, if you know a little bit of quantum physics, you know that there is the measurement problem. You know, the measurement problem uh, is... The fact that uh, you know quantum physics describes a reality that, ex- that that mathematically can only be described in what is called Hilbert space, which is a space in of n dimensions, uh, and we, in, in, in which each dimension uh, is a complex number. 
A complex number is a number that is made of a real part and an imaginary part. So already you start, uh, you know, you know, uh, your your you know uh, your your mind uh, start moving away from this if you're not if you're not a scientist because you know what are n dimensions and complex numbers for each dimension? I mean, what are you talking about? You know. So unfortunately, uh, that's how that's the only mathematic mathematics that can actually show how things work, and nobody understands why they work that way. That's another problem. Nobody understands quantum physics. Even the most superb physicist does not understand quantum physics. They know how to use it. They know how to do the computations. They know the rules, but it makes no sense. And the measurement problem is one of these other things that makes no se- that make no sense. Uh, a measurement problem means that uh, you you describe a reality in this. Uh, space uh, that is non-physical is a mathematical space uh, with many dimensions and then somehow from this reality describing this space there is what is called the collapse of the wave function the wave function represents the likelihood that certain things will happen and many things can happen but when there is the collapse of the wave function only one thing of the many things that could happen happens and so how does that happen? That's a mystery. Nobody has been able to explain how this happens. You simply take it for good from this n-dimensional space of complex dimensions. You collapse the wave function into the three-dimensional space and time. And is that done through the act of observation, um, Federico? So- well, uh, well, that's, uh, you know, some people say that it's through the act of observation. Some people say that it's not. It's simply, they call it the decoherence. You know, simply from a this thing, you decohere into that thing. But even if they have a mathematical theory, it's actually completely circular logic. So it doesn't make any sense. Nobody knows why. What does it mean? Okay, yeah. now I can tell you that most of those things, most of those of the collapse of the wave function, decisions of conscious entities that live in a reality much vaster than this reality right unless all of a sudden all of a sudden you can begin to understand what nobody has ever understood you can actually explain why it has to be that way it has to be that way because at the foundational reality there aren't elementary particles or quantum fields but there are, there are conscious entities that interact with each other. Yeah. Conscious entities that interact with each other to know themselves. And these conscious entities emerge from one, the totality of what exists, who wants to know itself through this the creation of this many, each being a point of view of itself. Remember what I told you about my experience first. Exactly. Right? Exactly. exactly. So let me, if, with your kind permission, is it okay if I gently interrupt you for clarification as you of go course, on. of course because, absolutely because there's so now now we're getting into it this is so rich so a, a couple of things before um oh lord i mean again so many things are coming up to play here um so when you when you um capitulate isn't the right word but when you engage in the language of mathematics do you attribute a, a supremacy to that level of communication or do you actually engage it as a skillful means to talk to the high priests? 
In other words, do you think that there's something special about mathematics or do you simply use it because, hey, if, if I just, if I don't use that language, then the, the, the high priest won't. Well, let me, let me put it this way. You know, we live in a reality in, in which there is both laws and freedom. You see, you know, you know, the, the spiritual person would want, you know, there is only freedom, and the, the you know, the 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 uh, the physicist wants only re, only laws. Okay, it's both. I mean, you know that. I mean, if you you know, you can want all you want not to fall down when uh, you know you are on a on a plane, <laughs> but you cannot. You got to. You are going to fall down whether you like it or not. So there are rules. But there are also freedoms. I can decide that I want to turn right or to turn left. And that decision is not algorithmic. It's a free will decision. There are no formulas that can tell whether I should turn right or should turn left. So you see, so so we you know we have to fundamentally to really to really uh, you know join spirituality with science. We had to change completely the way that we think both as yeah. a scientist and as a spiritual person. Exactly. exactly. It cannot be, it cannot be a juxtaposition. Yeah. And juxtaposition is the the, the shotgun beverage that you were talking about. That doesn't work. Because it's because because it isn't that way. I mean, not, not because you know it, it doesn't work because reality is both as rules, yeah. but the rules in this theory of, of mine, the, the rules are like the syntactical rules of the languages that we use to communicate with each other. They are rules that they are not rules imposed by God. They are simply the rules that we have agreed to use because to communicate with each other, we need to have rules. I can I can I cannot change the the meaning of symbols without you know without everybody agreeing that this symbol means something or something else. So there has you know I cannot you know uh, you know exchange verbs with with noons just just like we, I want to you know Otherwise you can't play the game. We, yeah. we have to have rules but yeah. the rules the rules the key thing is that the rules are not compulsive in the sense that we imagine the rules the rules are choices that we have made to agree with those rules and we have to use it because we have agreed that to use them yeah, because thing. we want to communicate and to communicate we have to have rules that's it that, yeah, that's exactly where i was going with this and so again oh my gosh there you go now you're getting me excited but, but, but you see andrew this is the point right yeah, you're, you're making a clear the point is that once you change the perspective so fundamentally, everything has to be relocked. And that's why you have to, to, you know, for everything that I tell you, you have 200 things that comes to mind because, because you know, and, and, you know, and to me, I have to, I, I did this process for the last, you know, 12 years, uh, you, you know, where everything fits, yeah. you know, everything fits. I can, I have an answer to all of those things. If you start with this, uh, you know, in this idea where instead of, you know, the, the, the closest things that you can do as a physicist, you say, if the quantum fields, you assume that the quantum fields are conscious, not, you know, from the beginning, the quantum fields, not the particles, the quantum fields, 
The particles are states of the quantum fields. They are not, they, you cannot separate them. They are like things, like forms that appear within the quantum field. So they are not, the, the, those forms are not conscious. That's why computers are not conscious. They are forms. They are not the fields. Well, they're, the excitations, they're perturbations in the field. They're excitations of the field. Yeah, that's right. They are the waves of the sea, right? But the sea. And, and this go and, and I'll show you how far this goes. I mean, if if we extrapolate that again, I don't want. It's like you said. It's like we're talking about the singularity of reality here. There's so much going on. It's as if to me, you can extrapolate this and say, on one level, just like there's the quantum field, and I want to talk a little bit more about that in a second. There's only the experiencer. An experience is analogous to a particle in relationship to the quantum field. In other words, experience is just a perturbation of the field of the experiencer. And hence, what you're also talking about here is non-duality. This is another way to talk about the, the relationship of the wave to the particle, subject to object, using this kind of matrix. <clears throat> yeah, but the, the crucial thing here, the crucial difference between many of the idealists uh, is that uh, while there is, you know, a field, which is the superposition, just like the quantum superposition of all the fields, there are also an infinity or near infinity of fields that combine with each other to, you know, and create new fields so that it is a field of fields. And, uh, you know, and so it isn't like where, you know, some Buddhist tradition where you say, okay, you, you are a drop that you know, a water that will you know eventually will disappear in the sea, uh, uh, and you lose the identity of being a drop. No, uh, right. it is we are parts whole. Whole ones, absolutely, absolutely. We are parts yeah. whole, and we maintain the identity. The identity yeah. is what allows us to know that the experience that we are having is our own experience. Right. The experience that I'm having is my experience. Therefore, I can direct it. Right. If you did not have identity, you could you would not have free will. You wouldn't be able to direct your experience. But it doesn't here, Federico. Here, what gets interesting to me, and and please, uh, if you're okay with me, kind of getting in. Absolutely, and, 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 absolutely. But to me, again, there's still so much here. So, to what extent um, does anthropomorphizing come into play here? Because you're using multivalent terms when you talk about free will. Uh, that that then implies agency, that then implies identity. So we have to use frameworks that we can relate to. When you talk about free will, when you talk about identity, how much is that um, anthropomorphizing what you're trying to describe or how how literal are things like free will and identity to these? Okay. So, so this I mentioned earlier that the starting point is entities that communicate with each other to know themselves. Okay, so the the fundamental qualities of these entities I call these entities satis. Yeah, sati is a is an English word that means uh, the fact of being a self. You know, the selfhood. Okay. So and because because I don't want to use the word self because the word self has all kinds of other meanings and I, you know and so we you know so I use this a seldom used so I did not I did not create my own word but I use a seldom used word satiety in order to express the idea of a entity that has three fundamental properties one has identity which is what I said earlier, identity is the fact that the experience that this entity is having is, is 
he knows it's his own experience. He is conscious. Yeah. So conscious means that he has experience and he can know itself. He can know the world through those experiences. And the third is, is he has agent, agency. So exactly. it, it means that he can act in the world with free will. So the agency implies free will. Okay. And so are the are these deities irreducible? I mean, are yeah. these irreducible? Yes. These deities are irreducible. Exactly that. They, they, are, they, are, they, are, they are the fundamental. There, there is a fundamental level of satiety, which I call consciousness unit. Yeah. They are like the monads of Leibniz. Yeah. Okay. So those are the consciousness units that are the, that, that essentially are the like the uh, the atomic, <laughs> if you want to call it that way, or the you know actually atoms are made of particles, but the fundamental fields, the fundamental fields are you know that are conscious, however, are these entities uh, called CUs, conscious units, which are satis, but they are the elementary satis that you know have these three properties. So the consciousness of a sati is actually a self consciousness. Because they know that they're having an experience, so so that that is self consciousness. And, and by that you mean it's 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 reflexively aware, right? I mean it's that's reflectively aware, yeah. And so and the the substance of which all the societies are are built is the substance of one, which is you know goes back to my experience where everything is made of one thing, right? Exactly. And, and so when you have that experience, again, I, I get so excited, I have to interrupt you. So when you have this experience, which which I, I was just, literally, it was like a mind meld. I was just so there with you. You had the experience of the light, and then it came up and it exploded into this, this multifarious display of scintillating points of light, which, by the way, parenthetically, Federico, this is a very classic description of particular qualities of mind within the wisdom traditions. Would you therefore attribute those the the sparkles, for lack of a better term, when you had when you had that phenomenal phenomenological experience, was that an experience of the Sayatis? Were you actually directly experiencing those little dots of light as these consciousness units? No, I, I can no no I, I I didn't know what they were, but now I could say that most likely those were the sort of the the reflection of individual of you know they were. You know, there were, you know, innumerable points of light, and each point of light would be a satiety. I mean, exactly, exactly. Each exactly. point of light was a satiety. Yeah. So you were actually getting a glimpse. I mean, this is it's so difficult to put into words because you're having a non-dual experience. You're trying to put it in a dualistic framework, which is on one level language, and on another, on another level is even the mathematics itself. But the phenomenological display when you had that radiant Fourth of July burst. You would you would then I just want to make sure I'm understanding you attribute that these this particular scintillating white light what we the wisdom traditions call bindus basically mind pearls distillations of the concentration of light yeah and and they would also say that just like and this is where it's so beautiful that this is in fact the fabric of reality I mean reality in, in this languaging is quite literally made of this type of frozen light which is the light of the mind that is in fact reflexively aware. So let me ask you this. No, 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 it's not a frozen light. It's, it's a living, is a living this, light. No, this becomes it's a, a living light. Yeah, this, living but, but we, we're the ones that kill it. Yeah. We're the ones that freeze it when we reify what of we course. see in the phenomenal world, right? So basically yeah. you were seeing the atomistic nature of the luminous display of the mind as these points of light, these bindus, correct? Yes. And so let me ask you this, uh, um, and please... Um, except my apologies. But, but 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 to be to be completely honest, 
I did not realize that at that time. I, I mean, you know, I can tell you now this, but but you see, all those experiences, little by little, reveal what was simply, you know, an experience. But I could then begin to connect the dots, so to speak, exactly. and understand understand the whole thing. Exactly. That's exactly what what each of what each of us has to do. I mean, yeah. we, we cannot stop. You know, we 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 cannot just uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, we, we cannot say, okay, that's it. That, that's that's it. And then we put a boundary around this is all. The, the, you know, yeah. and that's why I I did not want to be, you know, to to take too seriously what anyone would say, would say no. in the book. Because if you do that, then you become a sectarian. You you end yes. up following yeah. a guru or following something. I don't want to be a guru, I don't want to, yeah. you know, and I don't want to follow a guru. Yeah. I mean, we are all free. We we yeah. need to be free. You see? I mean, this is fantastic. And again, I always say parenthetically here that we always have to remember the Buddha wasn't a Buddhist, Christ wasn't a Christian. So these ists and these isms that we all fall into, they're just byproducts of these amazing individuals who simply opened up. And you're, again, this beautiful mercurial capacity to, to not get pigeonholed, not slide down into an it is. You're, you're, you're more a curious. I and mean, that's the way I define myself. I'm a curious. I'm yeah. intensely curious. Absolutely. You see, uh, if, you know, I mean, the the closeness of typically the you know human mind, uh, even in the religion in the religion sense, is that they many religions define God as omniscient. If God were omniscient, it would know it, it would know everything. That it would be nothing else to know. It would be done. So. Right. So, you know, to me, the first thing that one has to be, has to be open because he wants to know itself. And the more he knows, the more there is to know. Exactly like we're displaying I here. You know, the more you know, the more there is to know because the more connections can be made, you know, in different ways. And, and some make sense and some don't. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so when you had this again, this is this is so this is just fantastic. So, so when you had this experience, because here's what I want to do uh, with your permission, Federico, is dance between the humanities and the sciences, between science and spirit, which is really what you're doing. Maybe we can do it even in the course of this conversation, where I want to I want to go back and forth between your experiences and and now this extraordinary capacity to describe it in languaging and scientific terms that can be of, of profound benefit. To, to talking to these people. So the so one question here is, when you had this grand opening, can you retrospect, was there in fact an experience of matter in that opening or was matter subsequent to the opening? In other words, when you were in the experience, it was, it was again, don't let me put words in your mouth, but this, this experience of radiant, diffuse, um, self-knowing, self-aware, reflexive light, my my intuition was at that point it was you could say it was all spirit and again I'm not sure there was no matter what, what where did where was matter in that was matter consequence of that after the minute when you came back well, it, 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 there was no matter there I mean yeah. I, I can say that you know clearly it was all experience there exactly. was no matter uh, but you know in my in my theory matter is simply what we call the symbols that we use to communicate with each other. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, 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 so we 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 call matter, and we basically confuse the symbol with the meaning. Exactly. 
Okay, so so from from the science point of view, there is, there are only symbols that that interact with each other. They will be like the words that interact with each other in the, in in the gazillions of books that are written. But you know, but from a spiritual point of view, there is only experience, but there is nothing else. And that is not true because we know, because we communicate. We know more of each other because we communicate. If we are part whole, I have the totality of one inside of me. And so I'm look, I, I have to discover who I am, which in so doing, I discover for one, because I'm I'm not separate from one. I'm I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an integral part of one that wants to know itself. And in knowing itself, one knows itself. But the way that one knows itself is like a, in a quantum system, you know, it is it is much more than the sum of the of the knowing of all the parts the soul that, that he is. You see that he uh, sorry, you know, we don't have <laughs> it, right. well, yes. it she <laughs> whatever. <Right. laughs> so so you know we 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 basically, you know, uh, here to really drive in this yeah. idea of part whole, yeah, I, I have to say another thing. Our body is built the same way. Each cell of my body is a part whole of right. the body, right. of the total, the totality, because the genome inside each of my 50 trillion cells is the same genome of the egg they created the total organism. Right. Beautiful. So, so you, you you see the same the same pattern is repeated over and over at yeah. different scales, like a fractal. So exactly. We are we are cells of one. The same way that each cell in my body is a part whole of the my entire body. Yeah, it's 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 the self similarity principle in chaos theory. Yes. The fractal, yeah, it, yeah it, it, it's the fractal, is the, the fractality, yeah, but also also the holog of, of holography, where yeah, where a part a part of the whole contains the whole. Even yeah. in a hologram, in an hologram, you take a a portion of the hologram, you illuminate with coherent light, and you see the whole. And the smaller is the part, the less detail there is in the whole, but it's still the whole. So let, let's come back because this is this to me, this is so important what we're talking about here. Again, joining your experience with your beautiful theory. Be help me out a little bit, help me understand a little bit more Federico. When how so when you're in this experience of tremendous opening and radiant light and you and you saw the effective expression, it was made of love, so beautiful, really, and so spot on. How how did matter then? crystallize, materialize, germinate from this openness experience? Because if, if it was only consciousness at that point, there was no experience of matter. After that one minute thing, you came back to reality or whatever this is. At that point, you were, you had returned to the so-called material world. So what, what therefore, you're, you're kind of circumambulating this. What therefore is the relationship of this opening to matter and say more about how we can now relate to matter. Because when we talk about materialism versus spiritualism, that always is the big thing. What 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 is matter in, in both your experience and in your view, your theory? Matter, matter are the symbols that we use to communicate 
that are perceived by another symbol, which is the body, that transforms those symbols into an experience which is not felt by the body, but is felt by a system which can only be described as a satiety that doesn't exist in the physical world, but exists in a vaster world that contains, so to speak, the physical world. So the physical world is an is a is a is a like a is like a reduction yeah. of a vaster reality. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's like uh, you know, um, uh, like uh, you know, a, a plane or a you know, a plane is a reduction of this of a three dimensional space. You know, it's like uh, you know, it's like the the body exists, the physical body exists in a plane, but our consciousness exists in a three dimensional world, and so. So, you know, what we see, what we th- see in the plane, uh, we, you know, is, is not, you know, it's only a portion of what actually exists. Fantastic. And so, so where, so can you therefore say, just to gain clarity on this, because this is so important. So where does matter then have or have not ontology? Is it only epistemology or does matter actually have ontology on this view? Well, it has has ontology to the extent that not being separate from the field, being a form in the field, it retains retains a connection with the field. It's not separate. Okay. So, but but it is a form. So, So it's consciousness if it is, if you say that this matter is conscious, it's really the consciousness of the field. It's not the consciousness of the form. So is matter, therefore, can you, is the languaging proper to say that it is the effulgence, the expression of the field? I mean, is that a, a little no, reason? You know, I look at it this way. My body, my body is a symbol, but it's not, it's not a classical symbol. Like, like a bit of a computer, okay? My body is actually a quantum and classical system, the like of which science has yet to recognize. Because science has studied biology as if it was biochemistry, as if it was classical. Instead, each cell is a quantum and classical system. And so it dances between those two worlds. As it two- is a bridge between the world of classical matter which is the world of computers, they can never be conscious. They can never have free will. If they have free will, is the will of the person that through the little back door of the computer controls the computer, okay? <laughs> and that's and that's where the is this is the big lie that, that, that people you know in AI are are, are you know are perpetrating, so to speak, because they 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 tell you that you know that their AI can be autonomous, you know, and we, we, you know, we, you know, we can, you know, he, he, he has, you know, he can do stuff by itself. Come on, you know, this, this is completely wrong, okay? And because is it is it is that's a a major deception that we that we need to really be aware of. But go back to what I was, you know, was we were saying. So the uh, actually I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> Well, we were talking about whether we were talking about whether matter has um, any ontology, and then I was actually asking: Is it is it safe to say that we can uh, relate to matter as an effulgence, an expression, a radiance? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Thank you. So, so I was I was about to say that that my body is a symbol which I control. 
I, but I am not the body. I am that sati that exists in this vaster reality. So this symbol exists as a form in my field. So, but because, you know, because I believe to be the body, you know, or at least a portion of who I am believes to be the body, we have reified a symbol and we think that that is reality. And of course, array five means real, the real meaning reality, right? So, so you know, so, so the moment that we begin to disidentify with that, then we can actually have experiences which are holistic experiences because we no longer can per, no longer perceive reality through the information that the body has captured in this informational field and transform into what consciousness, my safety consciousness, limited to believing that it is the body pays attention to. Yeah. So in, in other words, you know, in how do I explain my extraordinary experience of consciousness, my first extraordinary experience of consciousness? For a while, I let go of the identification with the body and I was able to experience, you know, directly the who I am, yeah. who I am, okay? And so and so, so all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I got a glimpse, I, I, I let go, you know, no, it was no longer, in other words, my ego was able to directly see, directly perceive the vaster self that I am. Yeah, but when, isn't it fair, also fair to say here for that ego, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, when you say you 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 discovered your truer self, wouldn't it be more accurate? Again, correct me. Wouldn't it be more accurate to say that you actually discovered the the extraordinary bandwidth of yourself? In other words, because what happens then to the relative sense? Otherwise, if you're putting all, if you're taking ultimate refuge in this true identity, then there's this cosmological dualism that is born. There could be a potential disparaging of the world of form. Do you see what I'm saying? No, no, but 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 you, but you see, you know, uh, uh, I think that I'm here to do a job. So, you know, in other words, in other words, uh, you know, now I know that now I know without, you know, without question that when my body dies, I'm not going to die. I was just, that's exactly where I was going to go. Yeah. Same about that because this again. Now we're coming back to the to the so-called soteriological value here. Yeah. This isn't just metaphysics. This but, is but, but, but since uh, since the body is my creation, I'm here to do a job that yeah. I want to do. Now yeah. I can actually understand more deeply what did I come here to do. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And the death thing is, I thought that was one of the really beautiful contributions and consequences of this work. That it's basically you had an intimation. In fact, you died. I mean, it really was a near-death experience. And then you came back due to whatever patterns, and now you know it helps you illuminate, articulate your 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 so-called charter and mission. And so, let me go back to one thing here, or several things. <laughs> There's so much here. One is for for someone new at this point, we have to be a little careful um, with roadkill, right? I mean, it's like, geez, you know, I was with you up until the lights came out, but now I'm lost. There are so many moving parts here. Um, when we when we talk about the irreducibility, and I, I believe you're actually one of your next books is titled that the irreducibility being the sayatis, the conscious units. 
Is there a, therefore a directionality or reducibility to that, or are these processes somehow co-emergent? Do do they mutually enact each other? I mean, to what extent can we go down? Because here, then, then there's a the red flag, and maybe it's maybe it isn't a flag of reductionism. So you know, basically reducing things to these fundamental. Uh, there, there is something true about reductionism uh, in in this theory, and it is that there are in there are. Uh, uh, individual satis that have their own identity. So the identity of the satis, you can look at it as separate from the identity of another satis, but we are, but we are all part holes. You see, see the, 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 the all I, the, see, you know, materialism is not completely wrong and, and, and spiritual people, you know, in the general sense, you know, without you know, they may there are exceptions, but you know, are not completely right. <laughs> you know, you you need to bring them together. You know, science, you know, is right when they say how things work, but 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 they're only concerned about the functioning of things. Where where you know where spiritual people are only concerned about the comprehension and the living of it. The living themselves, the the the, the life aspect that can know itself by living, you know. So, so and, and of course, ultimately, that's what gives you joy, or you know, or or hanks or whatever. But you know, is the you know is consciousness. I mean, but also for science, you had to you had to be conscious to be able to understand. But. But because scientists typically don't think that consciousness is, is any anything special, they take it from granted. They take from granted their capacity to have intuition, to to you know to formulate thoughts, to have feelings, you know, or maybe if only if only the feeling a feeling of right or wrong. But you know, they take it from granted. But once you have an experience that opens up, you know, Pandora's box, like like it happened with me. You know, you know that 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 there is much more that, that that now we are the universe. We are not separate entities. That when the body dies, we're gone, which is what scientists are saying. Right. right. So say 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 a little bit more about. I, I love this again. This is another reason I'm so drawn to your work because it's so resonant with my favorite view, which is then so tricky, which is an integral view, integral theory, integral ways of relating to mm-hmm. you know holons that. Um, everybody uh, is is true but partial, and therefore the, the the charter is to honor and incorporate the truth, and then centrifuge out the the chaff. Get you know really get to the quick, and so therefore when we do that, and again don't let me put words in your mouth, then in fact we may find gentle bridges, we may find commonalities of language and experience where the scientists can actually communicate with the spiritual practitioners at these foundational levels. And therefore, cross-pollinate between those two and really, I mean, really create bridges that arguably have never been created before. So, I mean... But but absolutely, because that, 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 is, that is how one can know itself more and more is because if I, if I, if I, can, if I can get your experience through communication, because I cannot get your experience directly... I can only get your experience if you tell me with your sim with symbols symbolically, which you know symbols are symbols is information that can be shared. 
experience cannot be shared. It's unique mine, like it's unique yours, and I cannot share it. I can only share with symbols, yeah. which are which, which, symbols are classical information, and the experience is quantum information. And that is the essence of the theory with, with Dariano. Essentially, quantum information is non-clonable. It's already, it's already is a theorem of quantum physics. The quantum information cannot be reproduced, cannot be known. And what we said is that, ha, ah, but it can be known by the system which is in that state. <laughs> you see? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it cannot be known by, by anybody, but it can be known by the system which is in that state. We are the first one to say, there it is, man. You know, quantum information is non-clonable because it is not information. It represents an experience. It represents an inner, it represents the qualia and the experience and the knowing that comes through the qualia. Yeah, and so this is now we're getting to the real genius. So now, now we're talking about this this issue of interiority, why it is that artificial intelligence can never be should not be conflated with artificial consciousness and sentience, which will never happen yeah. because these systems can never have interiority. Yes. I mean, so by this definition, we're talking about that. Yeah. So when you use again for clarity, um, quantum is another one of these polysemous terms, multivalent term. When you're using quantum and and, and you say Consciousness is quantum. Uh, you know, like, can you be a? You're, you're starting to intimate this um, in this relationship to information. Can you be perhaps a little bit more articulate or help yes. help me understand let me, what you're let, let me be. Let me be more articulate. Okay. So, because your experience can only be known by you, it can never be even put in a piece of mathematics. You had asked me earlier about mathematics, what relationship, and so on, right? So the only thing, the best thing that mathematics can do is to create a symbolic representation of an experience which cannot be described, if not by you. But even you cannot, cannot copy your experience. Even you need to use... Uh, shareable symbols to express your experience by the shareable symbols are not the experience. They are only tokens of your experience. And therefore, and not only that, but in quantum physics, when you have a quantum system in a quantum state, the maximum information that you can get by measuring that system is one bit qubit. per qubit, per quantum bit. A quantum bit represents an infinity of states, while the bit represents zero or one, one of two possible states. So the shareable information is always a re an enormous reduction of what the experience is, which, which has the dimension of infinity, where the dimension of the symbols is finite and very small finite, one or zero. And so this is where the this is where the whole probabilistic thing comes in and the collapse. All, all the yeah. It, it, then there is no collapse of the wave function in the way it was it was understood. The collapse of the function is free will. And then and then you know and then there is no quantum information because the quantum information represents an experience. There is only experience. You see, 
Yeah. And so therefore, oh gosh, the, again, oh, I get so excited. So <laughs> is, it, is it is it is it facile Federico to say? Because I'm 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 always so interested in in the uh, I mean my language in kind of ontic plasticity. Exactly what you talked about in your experience when you when you Federico dissolved into a radiant ball of loving light, and then because of habit patterns or whatever, you crystallize back into form slash matter. I'm always extraordinarily interested again in this relationship of what we call mind, spirit, and matter. Is it too facile to say we're talking about uh, on one level? And again, correct me if I'm wrong. The only thing we really, really ever have is experience. I mean, that's it. Hard stop. Is it is it too facile to say that that matter is is the the word we append to the regularity of experience? Is that is that something that's too facile to say? No, matter is the word we append to the regularity of the symbols that we use to communicate our experience. There we go. There, that's even more refined. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And there may be there may be you know in in Chinese box style a yes. reality inside another reality inside another reality. Yeah. Which some that's of the the some of the you know esoteric traditions are telling us you know for example you know that we have a uh, you know an astral body or a etheric body or whatever you know of a mental body so uh, you know at this level of my knowing uh, i say that within this theory it is possible but you know that that's all that can, that can be said scientifically at this point but, and so, and so so what is that again now we're getting to oh i love the granularity here so centrifuge out for me how this is not idealism and how and why you call this quantum information based panpsychism. So because you see, see, you know, unfortunately, anytime that we put things in a box, you know, then yeah, we yeah. become philosophers and, yeah. and we never stop arguing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm actually not that interested because in some ways, each one of us has to find out for themselves what the hell is going on. And so, you know, so even, you know, the moment that you put things in the boxes, then you you start arguing about, but is it, and you cannot do that because there are no boxes, you know, everything is connected with everything else. So all the boxes have holes (laughs) that connect with the other boxes. And so, you know, and, and to know is to actually know you know, how to connect the boxes with, with each other, what real knowledge is and real knowing is. Right. Know, to know the total, you know, the the wholeness that we are, the wholeness in the sense of, you know, the indivisibility that we are. It reminds me of this of this this parable. I can't remember where I heard it. Where where God God and the devil are walking along a path, and God sees this incredibly beautiful thing shimmering on the ground, and the devil picks it up and says, "I'm going to name it." Right. Yeah. That's right. Or, yeah. But 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 but. I but really we have to. We, we, we the devil doesn't we have to. You see, yeah, we, we cannot not name if we want to communicate. Exactly. But exactly. but but, but the, the, the devil is when when he named it that he believed that the name was the thing that he named. Exactly. Exactly. That is the problem. You confuse a map with the territory. You confuse symbols with meaning. Yeah. And in fact, in physics, information. Is only symbols without meaning. Is only a probability. Has nothing to do with meaning. And therefore, in this theory with Dariano, okay, all of a uh, sudden the meaning is what we have called quantum information, 
And the symbol, the symbols, you know, are the what we have called classical, classical, you know, classical, you know, the bits. You know, they, they are the, the 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 shareable information is the symbolic aspect because in order to communicate, we need to to com, com, you know sort of sort of collapse without the with the same meaning, not right. the same meaning of quantum physics, but collapse a rich experience into a symbolic thing, which is always much smaller, like a name. You know, yes. if I say if I say to you chocolate, and you never tasted a chocolate. It doesn't mean anything, and, and even if I tell you, even if I tell you, you know, I I, I, I give you a sentence that explains what the chocolate tastes like. If you never taste it, you cannot recreate the taste of chocolate in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't. Know, you only can't. if you only if you experience the chocolate, then when I say chocolate, you get it. Yeah. But you have to know this. But you have to know. What the symbol means before you understand the symbols. Oh, if right. I give you a symbol, see, people get it all wrong. They 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 think that the symbol is the meaning. Yeah, and the symbol is always pointing, right? Even if it's pointing the to symbol itself. Symbol is a pointer. It's a pointer. So, Federico, how, how I'm going to do two things: one from a scientific perspective again, and then back to the spiritual perspective. How can how can this be falsifiable? How can this be tested? What are you and and um, Dariano? Cooking up in terms of actually bringing this into the labs and and, and testing this. Earth. Well, I mean the the you know uh, the, the first uh, the first uh, set of tests that you do right is there are the, the, the sort of mental mental experiments that you can do in your mind, <laughs> and I've done many for the last uh, for the last several years. Uh, 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 well, the, this theory is about two years old, uh, uh, maybe three. In terms of the, you know the first glimpses, and then you know it was published for the first time uh, uh, a, a year and a half ago. Uh, so um, you know in a in a in a archive, and then on a book last year, so nine months ago. So so it's very very fresh, very new, and uh, we have not gotten lots of comments yet, and that's a good thing because um, it means that uh, the thinking. They're still thinking. They're trying to figure out how to shoot it down, right? So, so, yeah, so far, so far, so good. But, but you, know, you can be assured that it will be a barrage of, you know, a barrage of guns, you know, smoking pretty soon. You know, and, you know, I expect that. But, but it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, happens. But the point is that, uh, in my mind, uh, many. I can actually explain many of the extraordinary experiences that I have uh, with this theory, and and theories that I've and experiences that I've read about. So, where you cannot explain any of that stuff with uh, with with physics the way we understand physics today, you cannot explain out of body experiences you cannot explain uh, near death experiences you cannot explain psych you know um uh, you know uh, um, uh, all kinds of you know psychic experiences uh, you cannot explain uh, uh, um the dreams you cannot i mean all, all kinds of things so so uh, so i i'm pretty com comfortable that at the level, at the sort of qualitative level, this theory, you know, is held together. So, 
But scientifically, this is not good enough. So what kind of experiments do we need to do uh, uh, you know, to, to prove it? I, I'm not sure that we can prove it directly for the very reason that quantum information is not clonable, mm. like in the experience. So you cannot know it. You say, well, I, I think it's that way. Well, you know, yeah. but you cannot prove it. So, yeah. so, but we can definitely prove it indirectly. So by, by figuring out an experiment, which we don't have yet, but we will, you know, this was one of the top priorities in my list of things to figure out an experiment, you know, the crucial experiment. In other words, a simple experiment, which where the, uh, you know, the theory today says it will be this way, and our theory says it will not be this way. And then you make this crucial experiment, and you yeah. find that it will be this way or that way. And then, you know, and then you have the first step forward, just the Michelson-Morley experiment that, you know, said, you know, if the ether exists as a, as a substance, then if you do this experiment, it should work this way. And if it isn't, doesn't exist, it should work this other way. So you make the experiment and you find that there is no ether because it works that way instead of this way. And, 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 and what, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. And, and often, you know, often the the people that uh, that create this experiment believe that it would be the way that actually turns out to be wrong. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, it happened also, you know, it happened also with, uh, for example, with entanglement, which is a property of quantum systems that doesn't exist for classical systems and which is the property that allows that allows parts to combine and create something which is more than the sum of the parts that is entanglement and uh, which doesn't exist in classical systems and so entanglement uh you know the the sort of the test was bell the bell theorem or bell or bell test is called uh, that sets set a limit uh on the correlations possible with uh, uh, you know with classical system and lo and behold quantum systems had much higher level of correlation that were that were possible if you had any a classical system so so you know and bell thought that reality was classical <laughs> like einstein you know einstein was a realist they thought that the, the reality had to be deterministic and uh, you know and so quantum physics was not sufficient was not complete and so is it again? This is such, this is such delicate trickery, trickery, tricky terrain. Because on, on on one level, I mean, you someone suggested this, uh, Federico, was like like how amenable if it's not clonable, how amenable are these um, experiences and even your theory itself to verification? Do you need? I, I think the only way to verify it is to have an extraordinary experience of consciousness. Exactly, exactly. And so, so but yeah, that's the only way we know, uh, Andrew. Yeah. No. It's the only way we know. So, so maybe so. If a scientist stops worrying about and being, you know, philosophical about it, or, 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 you know, or hard about it, you know, open yourself and ask yourself, and you know, you will find out. And this is what leads to my exactly my next question: is is how psychoactive is this view? So, for instance, the Ariano, let I don't know, maybe he did, 
uh, didn't have the types of experiences that you have, has has in fact his study of this been psychoactive? Has he in fact used this map to lead to the territory? By exploring this, can you actually have the experience? Well, my, you know, my, my frankly, my, my view on, on using drugs to, you know, to enter into extraordinary experience of consciousness uh, is, I'm not so convinced that, uh, that 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 you could trust what what you what you experience. You know, basically, you you are you are you know you are changing the chemistry of your brain. And you're talking about psychedelics now, yes, psychedelics, psychedelics, yep. or, or you know, all kinds of you know psychoactive drugs, right? Uh, psilocybin and and. Uh, oh, wait, oh, let me let me clarify my question. I think this is my problem. When I say psychoactive, I mean psychoactive in a generic term. In oh, other I, words, I, I thought you. I thought, that was, I thought you, No, you that was my that was my bad. My my lack of articulation. So when when I'm talking about psychoactive, I'm talking about um, when you engage in the study. So I, like like I used the example of Dariano. You know, he he probably didn't or he doesn't. Well, no, that, that, Dariano. That, you know, I mean, he told me they never had any any such experience, but but he trusted me enough that you know most. Most physically, if I if I tell my experience, they say, well, "What the fuck, you know?" Yeah, <laughs> Sorry to say my, right. my French, but you know, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, what are you talking about? You know, come on, get out of here. You know, uh, you know, he, he trusted me enough to, you know, even if you know he, he couldn't understand it because I was describing chocolate that he never tasted. Yeah. yeah. So, but so, you seem to be talking about this. I'm hearing two hundred degree things. You seem to be talking about, and I agree with you here. The so-called supremacy of the experience, but yet, how will this theory lead them to that experience, or can it? And that's what I mean by psychology. No, no, no. The, the, the theory does not lead you to any experience. It leads you to get off your, you know, your idea. The reality is what described by your other theory. Yeah. You know, so open yourself up to find out. Yeah, it could be that. It could be I mean, the, the, physics, the, the, the scientists today don't want to test any of the, you know, I mean, how could we test that you had an out-of-body experience? They don't want to find out. Yeah. Most of them. I mean, you know, there are some that do, but, but if they ask, nobody gives them money. But, but you know, there are those people, and those are the ones that, uh, you know, I, I fund with my foundation to, to, to explore things and, you know, especially things that will lead to, you know, convincing people that they should open up to experience. Because if I if I don't believe something, I will never, I will never, I will never experience what I don't believe that exists. Yeah, yeah. And so, therefore, it really is. It, it really could be a kind of um, stealth help. You're you're inserting these these psychoactive substances via the view that can be a, a potential paradigm shifter. They could put a crowbar in there, mixing another metaphor, and actually potentially make them walk away and say. Well, wait a second, I need to think about this. And again, then that type of reflection could initiate a psychoactive transformation. I mean, it happened to me, right? I wanted to know. Exactly. exactly. I wanted to know, and I wanted to know not to write a paper, not to make money, not to look myself in the mirror and say, how, how great you are. <laughs> I just wanted to find out because I was suffering, because I, I you know, I, 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 I was not happy. And I had, I have done what, Scientists were telling you that if you have checked all those boxes, you should be happy. <laughs> yeah, and right there should be the first thing. And so, so briefly, you mentioned this, but just very briefly, why do you think um, people, scientists, are uh, afraid of of exploring 
paranormal OBEs and that sort of thing. Do you think there's a fear ingredient there? I mean, it's a little, little sidebar, but why why do you think the resistance, the fear of scientists to go in, into these um, dangerous... Well, because, because, you know, because, because there have been many, you know, many inconsistency in religions, right? I mean, religions that, that preach... Uh, you know, they preach love and then they go to war, right? I mean, you know, things like that. So, so you know, a scientist is, uh, you know, is paramount and logical animal, so to speak. You know, it, you know, he cannot take seriously anybody that is incoherent, logically incoherent. You know, is a rational person. He wants to find out. Uh, he wants to know. He wants to be sure. But again, he doesn't realize yet that, even the sureness of a of an experiment is not enough because 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 you, you're you're sure that it works that the way you describe but what is behind again you know go back to the beginning when I was making the distinction between how and 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 why you know uh, you know the why can be completely different than the how yeah you know and, and scientists right now they are only interested in the how. Yeah. And, and they have essentially abandoned the field of experience and intuition. And, you know, it doesn't belong to science. That's 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 because consciousness has been defined as epiphenomenal, meaning it does not exist. Yeah. And it's also to me, it's also a, a revelatory of their unwillingness to engage in broad empiricism, where you think that the only way you can know reality is through these particular. It's, it's yeah. well, you, know, you, you asked about, you know, I didn't you know, finish answering you, but, you know, you ask about fear and the fear of, of, of the scientist is the fear of uh, being condemned by the community of scientists exactly. awesome. to which they belong. So, so, you know, if there is a fear, is the fear of being basically, you know, Going out of the club, <laughs> being, being, yeah, get out of the club, uh, you know, to which they belong very proudly. And so, so, you know, so that's, uh, that fear is, enormous and, and it, but it's, it's like you know being extradited you know or, or exile right and so so you know it's their home after all the the oldest construction which is beautiful in one way but it's incomplete uh, because it doesn't take into account the heart it doesn't take into account the courage it doesn't take into account uh, uh, you know the the deeper deeper capacities that we have and so they are short, short changing themselves. And I think but, the other- be, but, but in order to take seriously the, you know, anything, they need to be convinced at least to try and exactly. to try, you know, and to try. I mean, you know, it's not going to be easy. You know, you may have to, you know, to 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 work at it for years. I mean, in some ways, I had been praying to understand for for ten years, so to speak, before I had that, I had that experience, but I didn't know it. Because I didn't know that I was praying. I wanted to know why my suffering, why you know, I, you know, why why I, I, I bring this you know heavy load inside of me. What's going on here? You know, I, I've done everything right. <laughs> it still doesn't work, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, Federico, this is really beautiful. And again, I love the way we're dancing, and hopefully not, especially from my end as a dilettante between these two worlds. But again, you know, putting on the spiritual hat, hat back on for a second. It's allegedly the Buddha himself said, you know, I teach one thing and one thing only suffering and the end of suffering. And so what I see is your work that, again, I just want to applaud. This is quite remarkable is your is your willingness to actually 
try to talk to the to the boys club to the high priests using yeah, well, the vocabulary. you know you, you mentioned suffering that I, I cannot i cannot not say something about because there are okay. religions when they 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 want the end of suffering but to me to me suffering is the gate to knowing because if you are if you are you know fat damn and happy you know you don't want to know anymore you're happy and live your happiness you know but but suffering is when something doesn't match your expectation you you, you know you're not you, there's something that you don't know that you don't understand about yourself you you know and, and so you suffer or you suffer physically whatever but the point is that suffering to me is the only way in which we have the motivation to find out and but if you want to find out only because you want to stop suffering is not going to work because well, again, you but on what level are you you're doing no no i i never no i wanted to know see there is the difference i did not you know i, I could continue to to fake i i could continue to fake that i was happy okay I was quite successful in doing that, in faking that I was that, that I was, you know. But I, but but if I if you are honest with yourself, you say no, I'm suffering and I'm faking it. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and, and that's it. And 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 I, and I wanted to know why I was suffering, yeah. not because I wanted to stop it. Of course, yeah. You know, I mean, fine. I mean, if you you know if you you know it, it will go away but but that was not my you know that was not what was in my mind why why you know because i was believing that, that reality was the way physicists were you know have taught me so yeah. so you know you know so you know i know that when i die i will stop suffering anyway because i don't exist anymore right i mean so that, that's the way that's the way to stop suffering is with with yeah. death and so, so again, I, we're on the same page there, totally. Let me just ask you one question very specifically about that, and then I want to transition into one little thing. And I also want to be very respectful of your time. So, a couple of things that you go. So, again, now we're uh, well, somewhat fearless question. So, at the end of 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 this particular um, body mind matrix that we know as Andrew Federico, this will dissolve. Um, this view can help one perhaps alleviate some sense of fear and discord at the end. Like our, our friend uh, Bernardo says so beautifully, death is the, the end of the whirlpool, the dissociation, but the stream continues. So is it, have you conjectured, is it worth your your time in your own experience to conjecture what what then happens after the transition in into the dissolution process, like the so-called after-death experience and what what may or may not constellate after that? I, I I don't entertain very much this type of uh, sort of you know metaphysical questions. Yeah. Well, you know, speculations, if you want, right? I mean, basically, uh, I have already seen in the in the uh, report of near death experiences of, of you know I read probably many hundreds of them uh, over the years. Uh, there is a common thread, and I expect that most likely, well, you know, my experience will be the same. You know, so in other words, you wake up, you know, into another reality. You probably first, uh, in fact, I had now I forgot, but I actually had, I I had the memory hmm. of a 
you know, of dying. I lived through the memory of dying. I was killed and I saw myself, you know, out of the body, looking down at my dead body and saying, wow, it's still me. I'm still I'm alive. Wow. And that was the end of the experience. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that experience, um, you, you know, was also relatively early, probably two or three years after the awakening and, 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 but already the awakening had, had taken away any fear of death, but that experience was actually very precise. You know, I, you know, I'm out of body. I look at myself on the body there and I recognize that I'm alive and that my body is dead. Okay. So, so, but I did not go anywhere. You know, so, so it was simply, simply, simply recognizing that I, that, that I passed. And, uh, so that experience took all the fear of death uh, out of out of my system, and uh, um, and so you know there is no. To me, I don't I don't need to speculate. I will find out when I get there what I what I need to know. I mean, I mean because there is so much to do right now that to spend my time to speculate about something that. Is, when I'm not here, I, I would consider I'm I'm a practical man, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> and the fact that your practicality has taken you. That's the other thing about this, a kind of transcendental pragmatism, you know, it really it lends beautifully. So let me let me ask you this, Federico. Well, I, I see just a second, I see a light here that uh that oh, is okay. illuminating yeah. me, but it's not it's not the light that we were talking about earlier. So let me <laughs> Let me let me move. Uh, move my <laughs> <platform>. <laughs> move myself to a different area. I, see, I I don't I don't know my my you know my way to my son's home here. Uh, right. but, uh, yeah, but anyway, so that, now it's now it's better. So yeah, nice, nice synchronicity. Yeah. So to what extent, if if any, um. And then I know where I'm, I'm starting to just pepper a couple of different things out between these two worlds. <clears throat> you know, a lot of my listeners will be interested. To what extent, if any, do the the wisdom tradition still interest you? I mean, has it has it is it like a been there, done that thing in your study of these contemplative wisdom traditions, or do you still find yourself picking up a text now and again just to see what somebody else may have to say about this? Because the the reason I say this is because on one level you know, your experience is, is incredibly beautiful, rich, a standalone type of experience. But on another level, you say this in your appendix that on, on uh, your, your, on one level, the Vedas talked about this sure. thousands of years ago. So on one level, it's nothing new. And so um, to what extent and, do the- wisdom- I have, I have, I have read enough books about other traditions to, to get the sense of it. So I, I you know, I would consider wasting my time now to keep on going back to the same reading. Uh, sure. Because, and and everybody, everybody kind of casts this thing in a certain way, but I can recognize, you know, that 80% of what they say is, you know, right on with my experience. And the, 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 you know, it's, it's not 80% of what I, of what I thinking or what I read is 80% with my experiences, because I, I said early on the, the, the foundation for me is what I have experienced and yeah. what I can extrapolate from my experiences. And so, so you know, I'm not too interested to do a, com- a you know, to do comparative analysis, compar- yeah. comparative analysis you know, to do, sure. no, that, that is not my life. My life is to, you know, is to find a way to 
to uh, describe uh, you know a, a potential reality so well that that young people not even you know i don't care the older people young people will be you know will be motivated will be encouraged will be inspired to find out for themselves yeah. because th- they they are the future i'm not interested in converting an, an 80 year old physicist that, that believes that i'm full of shit yeah. you know? good luck <laughs> you know, that is not that is not my that that that, that is that that is not a, i don't care you know I want young people because those are the ones that uh, you know will carry the you know the light forward if they get any light for my or enlightenment for my for my discussions. And that's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, your Prussian Prussian statements here. Why why would someone be interested in this who's not a scientist? So let let's go a little bit more to that. So you're you're trying to reach uh, either overtly or covertly a younger population. Um, you're not going to do it with with the articles that I read, right? They're they're so scientific. I mean, again, I, I I'm bowing to that somewhat tongue in cheek, the the specificity. But what what do you see as ways of communicating this? In fact, to this population, they could inspire them to look at this. They could inspire them to be so to speak. Exactly what I'm doing right now, right? Exactly. I mean, you know, if, if, I'm not I'm not giving you a, a PowerPoint presentation of my article, right? I, I gave you the basic ideas. Uh, but to phys- to to hardcore physicists that are open, that article is important because it is it, saying that uh, you know that there is a this is a coherent a coherent way of looking at reality, and in fact, he explains what before they could not explain themselves. So you know, so uh, so you know, so that could be the doorway for them to open themselves up to experience. And to find out for themselves, because ultimately, as I said, you can only know by direct experience. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. You know, because that's the only way that you know. Look, one minute experience changed my life. You know, what else? You know, I mean, in, for 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 the better. You know, you can have one minute experience that changes your life because you die. But that's right. that's another story. But but you know, I'm talking about something so powerful that actually can change the course of one life. And, 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 and you know that is what it means to actually experience and to know directly through the way that we have to know, which science doesn't believe is the way to know, because the only way to know with scientists is to a theory that makes a prediction and you verify the prediction with an experiment. That is the only way to know. Exactly. And this is what I was alluding to earlier about the extraordinary limitations of not only scientism, but this lack of broad empiricism, that the only way to know mind reality is through these really constricted myopic kind of mechanisms. And so with that said, um, Federico, to what extent, if any, um, and I don't know any other languaging, but does praxis, does, does, is there, because you talk about the, the, and I, I'm completely with you on this, the so-called supremacy of experience. And fundamentally, that's all you ever have anyway. So to what extent do you either directly or indirectly um, try to cultivate that experiment experience? Do you, do you, are there things that you do to help you re- to stabilize them, to reestablish them, to propagate them? Do you, in fact, have a, a, a praxis around this? Well, the, the, uh, for the last uh, <clears throat> five years, um, my, my, uh, 
discipline is writing. Yeah, I wrote I wrote uh, uh, two books. I'm I'm uh, working on two more right now, and uh, and it is only through writing that I be able, that I'm now is I enter in a form of meditation, a meditative way, uh, in which new ways to understand, new ways to you know to to parse. Uh, comes come to me, um, and, uh, and 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 that's wonderful. I mean, I, I, there is nothing more enjoyable than you know all the hours that I spend, and I spend many hours doing that uh, a day. So, you know, I you know in a good day I, I can write for ten hours, uh, and you know, and and if I could do it, I would do it every day to write for ten hours because I love it. I love it. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that as well because it's again. You know, somewhat in the spirit of your of your whole approach, that it's so easy to to become locked into a particular mode. Again, a non-integral approach that this is the way to do it. You have to meditate. You have to do this. And and I, I love the fluidity that you bring to your whole approach. And that, in, in fact, um, on one level, I see. I mean, I see this dialogue as a type of practice. I see. I, I see my own writing as a type of practice. You're all skillful. Yeah. Life are. itself is becomes life itself become practice. You know. So so for me, uh, for me, the the um, you know the the uh, you know, writing gives me joy. <laughs> really, it gives me joy. And writing is actually the the combination of rationality and experience, because you know, and and openness to new ideas, to to ways, different ways of looking thing, at things, and you know, and the and the also the laborious process that we have to transform intuitions into something that works, something that actually functions properly. So, which is science. And so there is science, and there is the spiritual part, which is the intuitive part, the 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 illumination part that comes through that process. So so I'm actually practicing what I preach. <laughs> yeah, so I, I completely agree. As a writer, you know, and also as a musician, you get into these flow states. Same, same thing, absolutely. Same personal zones where it is a wonderful dance where where you open and you realize. And, a, a, and Bernardo says about his own work, as do many great artists, that I didn't write that book. I didn't compose that symphony. I just got out of the way yeah. and something came through. The daemon came through. And so it's a wonderful dance between these spectrums of our own being that that, that we have the, the part that still has to download it and put it in symbolic form and get it into yeah. the world. But yet we open into these larger um, dimensions where then it kind of, dare we say, channels, right? Yeah. Big word. Yeah, and it is a war, is a work of love toward myself and toward the world because I do something that will then be given out into the world. Yeah, giving birth to it. That's really beautiful. Well, as, as we start to close up, because again, I, oh, I, when you when your next books are out and I and I read them, we have to do this again. Talk to us. One one of your great gifts. We've been circumambulating this issue. Maybe we can be a little bit more specific. I'm I'm extremely interested. One of my passions in life is discovering, um, like Socrates, you know, the allegedly the difference between you and me, as I know that I don't know. In other words, blind spots. I'm I'm really interested in exploring, discovering what it is that I don't see. The cataracts of confusion. So, from your perspective, you talk, you intimated 
that spirituality has strengths and weaknesses, science has strengths and weaknesses. Um, we've been going after the science a little bit. Say a little bit more about what you see as the blind spots of the contemplative traditions. Um, and on one, on one level, I'm putting you in an impossible situation because, you know, who, who is anybody to have the kind of that hubris to say that? But at the same time, you are uniquely situated to have this kind of perspective because you've been, you've had the experiences, you dance between these worlds. So could you say a little bit more, if you're comfortable, about what you see from your perspective in as some of the blind spots of the non-dual traditions? I, um, I was, I mean, very simply, I mean, it is the idea of taking themselves out of the world, mm. you know, going to a monastery or, you know, into, into a cave, you know, and, 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 and you know, uh, basically only concentrating on the inner aspect of self and not on the rest, uh, you know, in the interaction with others and, and, you know, basically separating exactly what should not happen. I am part of the world. I live in the world, you know, and, and, and you know, I share with the world. I mean, I, I, you know, but I'm not trying to use me as a, as a, you know, as a, as a, a good example. I, I'm simply saying that, you know, uh, in my experience, by putting myself into uncomfortable places like starting companies and having to to learn new things that I never knew if I could even learn or not, you know, was it a risky business, you know, and I put myself in I'm doing what I'm doing now for Christ's sake. I mean, I'm, I'm probably, you know, uh, you know, all, all of my credits have been discredited now because, because of what I'm saying, you know, so it's talking to people like me, yeah, that's right. So what the hell, right? So, but, but, but to me, that is what is, is fundamental, you know, living, living fully, so to speak, not, not, not becoming isolated and becoming part of a sect or part of the, or part of a, you know, part of a sort of a, you know, of a classified tradition, you know, you know, where, where you begin isolate, you know, you find other people like you, they think like you and you become sort of, you know, someone like, uh, you know, we are better than the other guys without even without saying it. But in fact, that's what you do. Right. You know, we are special because we, uh, you know, we, we, we can do it this way, but you know, those other guys do it that way. Uh, no, that's not the way to do it. You know, I mean, come on, this is bullshit as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, so spirituality when it when it does that, they do exactly you know what they they claim that they shouldn't be doing, you know, or, or what they they hate about the world, so to speak, you know. So, so you know, so uh, you know, spirituality. In, in fact, many scientists do the same thing. They 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 become they only talk to other scientists. They think that they are they know better than everybody else, and they don't want to you know, share anything because they don't understand anyway. And we know it, we know it all kind of thing. And, you know, and that's not good. And that's, that's uh, really not what we're here to do as far as I'm concerned. I think, I mean, a high five on that one, uh, Federico, because really, especially in this day and age when the world is on fire, you know, I mean, it's really, it's, it's all hands on deck. And right now it's it's really, I couldn't agree more with you. It's, it's really applied spirituality. If you can't take these things and bring them into the world, it's irrelevant. Yeah. It's, well, what, what good is it? I mean, you you already you know it, when you go on the other side, you already know that stuff that you're trying to find out here. I mean, don't worry. You know, I mean, here we are here to do something, 
you know, for everybody, you know, co you know, in a co cooperative manner as far as we can, you know, and if we are unable to be cooperative, then that's a signal that we need to find out what's wrong with us, not with them. Exactly. You know, this kind of thing, you know, so those are the things that I learned early on being an entrepreneur in a way, taking responsibility for my life, yeah. you know. Well, you know, which is what then many of the, you know, many of the new age was saying later on. But, 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 you know, but you had to find it out for yourself first, not because you're reading a book. And then, you know, knowing, knowing is the only way to know, you know, and, and doing the sense of experiencing the sense of living it. Right. And, you know, many, most people that goes into the traditions, they, you know, they they read books or they 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 keep on reading the scriptures or you know they 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 try to 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 do to to have experiences like they were written in that book or in that way. You know, I mean, you know, we're all different. You know, you know, I, you know, I, I don't care if my experience was you know was like another one, though. I can recognize, however, when in a description of somebody, the commonalities between my experience and somebody else that describes theirs, but I'm the only one that can do that because I'm the only one that has an experience that can compare with what I read. And what I read is not is incomplete where my experience is, is full, right? Is is much richer than what I read. Oh, it's just fantastic because really uh, you, your genius is, is your, your willingness, your fearlessness, the lion's roar, to really to do broadsides against the scientific prevailing scientific paradigm, um, the high priest, you know, the cult of scientific materialism. And at the same time, like I just invited you, I think this is also very important because I, I, I roll obviously mostly in, in that world. And I have drunk the Tibetan Buddhist Kool-Aid for a number of reasons, yeah. but uh, mostly tax purposes, but I'm also, I'm also very interested in uh, truth. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And yeah. that's why I draw it from physics, science, neuroscience, whatever. I don't care. Whoever speaks the truth, I'm going to listen. And so the, the this tendency um, for ossification, for reification, to take our strategies, our disciplines, our approaches, whether it's scientific or spiritual, thinking that somehow that's the only way. This is a, this is an ongoing practice of openness. But it's the old idea, Andrew, that there is truth and false, that you can actually prove what is true and what is false, as if truth and falseness were static things. It is not. In fact, even, even logic is, you know, in the theorem of Gödel, you know, uh, Gödel has shown that using logic and a, an axiomatics, you know, an axiomatic system, you can actually make statements that you can not, never prove whether they are right or wrong. So what does it mean? It means that they are both. It means that they are both, and you can choose one or the other, and then you go into a certain road or another. For example, you know uh, the 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 postulate or the parallels in in uh, Euclidean geometry. You know the fifth postulate. Uh, you, you know was you know uh, was considered the postulate. So according to that postulate, non. Euclidean geometry should not exist. Right. Okay. But then, but then, you know, somebody said, wait a second, you know, this, this postulate can actually not be proven using the other four postulates. So it could even be wrong. Right. Because it could be approved, right. Yeah. So, 
What happened if it's wrong? So right. all of a sudden you had Riemann geometries, exactly. geometry, new geometries that are that, that are telling you that the world is much richer than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so there, there is, you know, so is a choice, but then you have to choose. You say if you if you're working with Lobachevsky geometry, mm-hmm. you cannot claim that that world you know obeys Euclidean geometry. You see, that's, yeah. how, that's how different entities are actually exploring knowing because, because there are things that are true and false at the same time. Yeah. Simultaneously. Yeah, dilithiasm. You know, and this is really, I, I love this so much because, again, as, as we go back and, and, and whether we know it or not, is we live. We live in Aristotle's world. We live in Euclid's world. These are paradigms that, that basically freeze frame um, us into this kind of myopia, these extremely limited worldviews that we take as axiomatic. And they go all the way down to, to the deconstruction of what you experience in, in, in your dissolution of the self-sense. And so by, by, by being open, willing to be humble, willing to be challenged, which again, the scientists on a certain level, that's their blessing and their curse, their extraordinary capacity to be so articulate. But I, I always say that the near enemy of articulation is reification. And so the really beautiful thing about, again, what you're doing here is is, is the gadfly, the challenge, getting in there like Socrates. I mean, he had to drink the hemlock, right? Causing enough stir, enough of a fuss that people can at least walk away and say, hey, wait a second, maybe I need to look at this again. And then they then they start to open the aperture of their awareness. Yeah, but most important that they need to look inside instead of looking at the next book that is going to tell you another story. And you want to go from story to story instead of ever looking where the actual truth is inside yeah. itself. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So as we start to close, and again, oh, this is so great. Um, tell us a little bit what you're working on. You mentioned two books. Um, I know one of them is, is called Irreducible. Can, just a little bit about what we have to look no, for. You know, irreducible is already done. Uh, oh, so yeah, it's two two new books, and but I want you know it's not it's too early for me to to tell about them. Oh, okay. So the irreducible is basically uh, a take on the four on the last chapter of S- silicon, where I, mm. I the, yeah. you know in broad That's, terms the theory yeah. uh, uh, that written before we had uh you know this theory with Dariano but but the basic the basic uh, ideas are all there so the theory of that with Dariano simply cements much more what at that, at that point you could call speculation now is is uh, is less of a speculation because it's rooted on some solid uh, grounding which is this theory with Dariano um so so irreducible was printed in uh, in September in Italian. I wrote the first part in English and the second part in Italian because Italian was richer to, for the second part than English. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I'm sorry, not I don't want to offend uh, the English language, but but uh, you know, but also that was my first language, Italian, so I can. You know, I I get I, I grog it more, <laughs> sure. and and uh, um, and it's doing very well. I, I sold about forty thousand copies, which is uh, amazing for for a book of that complexity, uh, especially in the Italian market. And this is uh, you know is uh, it, it came out September seventh. So so you know in in uh, in in 
during more than six months, I, I sold that many. It's still going strong. No, uh, it, it, there will be an English version, and uh, I cannot say when it will come out because it's in the hands of the publisher, so I don't know. And then I will, I'm working on two more uh, that will, you know, that enrich and expand uh, on what, what I've already done. Or, you know, pre- pretty much, as you know, you know, my theory uh, uh, causes many more questions than the answers. And so, so, so I can go on for the rest of my life, exp- you know, expanding on the things, on the connections of my theory with the new, this new view of reality. But, uh, but I, I actually want to, you know, my, my, you know, my sort of important things that I, that I want to do is, is finding that crucial experiment that will actually uh, prove that uh, the theory with Dariano is solid, is actually is actually valid. Uh, it may not be possible to disprove it, to falsify it, but you falsify, but you falsify the consequences of of, of uh, you know of, of the existing theories, uh, and so so that's that's good enough. And, and many many things in physics are never proven directly. You know, for, for example, you know, you cannot prove directly that quantum information, uh, you know, cannot be known uh, because you cannot you cannot know it. <laughs> you cannot know the actual thing and compare it to what you don't know. <laughs> so, so it's one of those things where you know there, there are things that uh, you, you got you know you got to believe only because. They make sense and they lead to something, something that makes sense and that can be proven. Yeah, beautiful. Any question that I should have asked that I didn't? Any final concerns? <laughs> we covered we covered a lot of stuff. Anything that you may have wanted to say that I didn't allow the opportunity um, to express around? No, that, that is so much, and you know, no matter where you start, you you end up away from uh, the core. And, and yet you can come back and finding that uh, you know you can go into another thread and you find that the core still holds. Um, you know it makes sense. I mean, we don't. You know, the world doesn't start without consciousness. It starts with something with and with conscious entities because consciousness is a property of entities. It's not. It's, you know, consciousness doesn't exist per se as. Ontology is the property of the ontology is in the in the entities in these satis in these uh, monads in these consciousness units that then combine creates you know combination of themselves which are also at the same properties of uh, of the original and, and on it goes so so you know if you start that way you absolutely have a completely different view of reality and uh, you know. It would take many lifetimes to explore that. Yeah. Well, Federico, thank you so much for for taking the time to to speak to my community. We'll we'll ping this far and wide. I'll do whatever I can to let people know about your work because it really it's it's really remarkable. Yeah, so, some people can get a lot, you know, uh, reading uh, Silicon because Silicon, that, yep. that book actually you know goes through all my life and and people that are in this in this journey. Can actually read in between the lines. They they can read in between the lines, which uh, you know, which other people don't because they you know they're only interested in this stuff, right? But 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 you know, in this in this book, I you know, just from the beginning, I 
I hint of what will come at the end. <laughs> well, I, for one, am, am much richer because of being introduced to your work that week. I wish you all the best. And perhaps when Irreducible is translated into English and I get a chance to read it, we can have another round of version with it. It's been a total delight on, on my part. So big, big bow gratitude from over here and uh, look forward to the next time. Bye thank now. you. And thank you to your readers. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. And of course, a really big warm thanks to Federico for sharing his remarkable wisdom with us. We hope you're enjoying the Edge of Mind podcast as much as we enjoy making it. Please do spread the word, rate the podcast, review it, and subscribe to it if you haven't already. It's one way to invite more people into this community and into conversations in the fields of science, philosophy, psychology, spirituality, integral studies, and the arts. 